Uh, so let's get to Genesis chapter 33. Um, you know, there are times whenever in our life that we just dread things, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like maybe you're going to go, you have to go to a doctor's appointment. Who dreads going to the doctor? Most of us dread because we don't know what they're going to tell us. We don't know what it's going to be like. Are they going to tell us something that we don't want to know? Um, we kind of have a dread of going to the doctor. Or maybe kids, it's getting your report cards. Uh, and you go, I dread my parents are getting my report cards, or they're going to go to Arlington online and try to figure out and know exactly what my, my grades are for today. Uh, and, and so I know you dread that sometimes from time to time. Or uh, for me, I, uh, I'm actually about to start some seminary classes uh, for the first time. And so I am a little bit dreading that just a little bit. It uh, makes me a little bit nervous of going back to school. My, my uh, school uh, before when I was actually in college wasn't the most stellar of a career. And so I don't know about going back and uh, trying to do it again, but I think I'll be a better student at 53 than I was at 20. So uh, at least that's the hopes. Um, or like if someone has done you wrong, uh, don't you kind of dread having to kind of face that or maybe talking about that? Or maybe if you've done somebody else wrong and you've got to face them, don't you kind of dread that meeting that may be coming up? Yeah, that's never a fun time uh, when, we, when that happens. And so that's kind of what happens today in our text. And so Genesis chapter 33, you can follow along in your Bible. I'm going to have the text on the screen and let's read this uh, together and we'll see what happens. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, uh-oh, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. If you just stopped right there, you'd go, what a coward. He's put everybody else in front of him, and he's at the back of the line, right? We've got to keep reading the text, though, so never take things out of context. So make sure you read the whole text. Verse 3, he himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, These children, whom, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. And the servants drew near and, they, and their children and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I meet? Jacob answered, find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, but Esau said I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my, pre my present from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Thus he urged him and he took it. And Esau said, let us journey on our way and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servants, and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me, at the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord and Seir. So Esau said, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. 
But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place was called Succoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padamaran, and he camped there before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bore for us hundred pieces. He bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel, which means God, the God of Israel. Let me pray for us. Lord, help us today. Help us to understand this text. Help us to understand what you were doing at the time. Help us to understand what you're doing in the midst of us today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So verses 1 through 3, let's, uh, let's kind of look at those again and see what it says. I'll read those to you again. Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel, the two female servants. He put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So uh, Jacob was afraid when he saw Esau coming, right? He was scared. And so the question is, why was he scared? Uh, Well, we have to remember what had happened. We have to remember what had transpired between these two. And if you think back to it, we can look back in Genesis chapter 27. This is from the text. That's what it says. And he said, is not rightly named Jacob deceiver, for he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And so if we go back and figure out what does that mean, and so if you remember back, uh, uh, there was a time when Jacob and Esau were in their home, and, and Esau was out working in the field, and he was hungry, and he came in, and he said, I'm really hungry, and Jacob made him some stew, and he said, but I'll give you this stew if you'll give me your birthright. And he's like, what good is this birthright for me? anyway. I don't need it anyway when I'm hungry. And so he ate the stew and he said he gave him his birthright. And it seemed like a very small, innocuous thing at the, very, at the time, but it was a really big deal. Because why? Because there are a number of things that go into that. Uh, the birthright was the natural privilege of the firstborn son. If you're the firstborn son, you get the birthright. Well, what does that mean? Well, uh, the birthright uh, uh, would have given you charge over the family. It would have given you charge over uh, the welfare of the younger sons. It would give you charge over the welfare of the widow should the father, the patriarch die. Or if there were any unmarried daughters, you would have, have, uh, uh, had, you would have had to see over uh, some of these things as the firstborn son. Uh, he would have had a uh, considerable authority over the affairs of the state that was going on. And the blessings that would have come down from the father would have gone to the firstborn son. And honestly, it would have been able to put him in line with a relationship with the Lord because the father passed the birthright down to the firstborn son, thus the blessing from the Lord. And that's how it kind of went in these particular days. And so in Jacob's case, it didn't actually mean, there wasn't a whole lot of specific possessions or uh, property from his father, uh, but he did get the birthright. And so what Jacob did receive from Isaac uh, was the blessing that was planned for Esau. Uh, The last kind of will and testament uh, that came to him. It promised that Jacob would have lordship over many nations as they were to come. If you remember from the text and reading, he said, you're going to be the father of many nations. He would have divine protection 
uh, that the Lord would give him. And whoever cursed Jacob would be cursed, and whoever blessed Jacob would be blessed according to this blessing that he gave him. So this was really a big ordeal that had happened that had occurred between the brothers. And, and, and naturally, Jacob assumed that Esau was ready to open a can on him whenever he uh, saw him. Jacob made his way to Esau, and he was ready to pay his due recompense. And he was ready to go, I need to pay you back for what's happened. I need to repay you for what has gone on. I need to pay up for what I've caused this to happen. Uh, but this is really cool. You get to verse 4, and this is what it says. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Isn't forgiveness beautiful? I mean, isn't forgiveness beautiful? So, so you can see what happened. They, they, they put this whole thing together, and he's been really nervous, and he's, he's put everybody in front of him because he said, here's the line of people, and he put himself at the back of the line, and, and basically they were waiting on Esau to come, and then he stepped out, and he made his way toward Esau, and he, and he bowed down, and he, he bowed to him a number of times, and, and he gets to verse 4, and it said, rather than uh, Esau uh, shaming him or pointing his finger or yelling at him, what does the text say that he did? What Esau do? Read it. Esau what? Ran to meet him and what? Embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Reminds me of the New Testament story of the prodigal son, right? Remember the, remember the story of the prodigal son, how he, he, he had a, if the, the, son had, uh, the father had two sons, and one of the sons said, you know what, I want all my stuff right now. He said, I'm going to go live it up. I'm going to college. I'm going to be big fun, and I'm going to go do my thing in college, and I want all my money right now. And, and so uh, the son took it, and he went, and he spent it on wine, women, and song, and he found himself just destitute, didn't have anything. He was, he'd said, I'd eat the slop from the pigs because I'm so hungry. And he said, maybe if I go back to my father's house, then he'll have a place for me, and he'll have something for me at this time. And so you can see the, 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 uh, the son in the New Testament kind of coming home to his father. Remember what the father was doing? Remember what the text says that the father was doing? What was he doing? Yeah, the father was watching. He was looking for him. This whole time, he was looking. Hopefully, my son will come back. I don't know where he is. I know he's out there somewhere. I'm sure he was praying daily for him. He was asking the God to come and, 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 and bring him back home. And what happens whenever he sees? He sees him in a distance, and what does he do? He runs. I mean, he hightails it. And, and, and men didn't run in that time. The, the patriarchs didn't run during that time. The scripture says that he pulls up his tunic and he runs to his son and embraces his son. This is the same kind of picture, that he runs to him. The text says Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Look, forgiveness spoken is amazing. Forgiveness spoken is amazing because we need forgiveness. We all want forgiveness, right? So I, I said this last week. There are four words that I think are very important when you get in a conflict with somebody. Remember what those are? Yeah, will you forgive me? Those are four words that you need to say. If you're ever in conflict and you've wronged somebody or you have sinned against somebody and you have, you're in conflict with somebody, four words that you need to learn to say is not, I'm sorry, 
will you, but there, will you forgive me? And forgiveness spoken is, that gives the person an opportunity to say, yes, I forgive you. And when that happens, that's really, really a beautiful thing that happens. But second, forgiveness expressed is healing. Forgiveness expressed is healing. What do you mean by that, Pastor? I, I mean, forgiveness is one thing to say that I forgive you, but it's another thing for me to live and for us to operate and for us to go forward like nothing has happened between us. It's one thing for me to say it to you. It's another thing for me to live like you've never offended me. It's another thing for you and me to live like, you know what, I know you've done this thing to me in the past, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to right before that happened, and I'm going to live that way. That's what this looks like. Matthew 18, it talks about that. Whenever a brother sins against you, you go to that brother and ask him for forgiveness, and if, it, and if, he, and if he offers, and if he uh, repents then, then that dies right then. It talks about how you reconcile within the church uh, issues that happen between people in the church. Um, because forgiveness is the goal. Forgiveness, repentance, forgiveness is the goal. Forgiveness is the hope that we come to whenever we've sinned against somebody else. And forgiveness for you and me is living like Jesus. Look, there are going to be people that are going to sin against you. There are going to be people that sin against you. And for you to hold a sin against somebody else is holding a higher standard than even Jesus holds for you. If you're unwilling to forgive somebody for a sin that they've even asked you to forgive them for, then you're holding someone to a higher standard than the God of the universe is actually holding you to. That's not where we should live as followers of Jesus. We need to recognize our own deeply sinful places. And whenever we come to the Father, we fully expect him to forgive us because he says that he does, right? Yeah, he says, if you ask me, I will forgive you. Hey, actually, he's already covered our sin debt and the blood of Jesus has already covered all of our sin debt. And so he doesn't hold those things against us. Who are we to hold anything against anybody else? Forgiveness is amazing and healing. Let's keep going in our text. Verse 5 says this, When Esau listened up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, these, these, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, and they, their children, bowed down. So they kind of did the same thing. They'd already practiced this. They were like, Whenever you come to Esau, you better be bowing down before him because we, I mean, there's no telling what he wants to do to us right now. So they bowed down. Verse 7 uh, Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. Last Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. And so when we read this, we see that the entire family knew the story, right? Uh, they, they'd already shared the story, but this is what happened between me and my brother. And, and so let, let me explain to you why whenever we go to him, we're going to bow down and, and we're going we're, we're gonna to go, we're going to go with low and slow and don't make any quick movements, you know. Uh, we're going to go in low and slow, and we're going to ask him to forgive us. And so they came in, and they bowed to Esau. They were hoping to win his favor. They, they were hoping that maybe if we come in with a lower, uh, kind of lowering ourselves to him, that he'll show kindness and favor to us. They were hoping to avoid punishment. 
They didn't want him to punish them because it was possibly due. He'd come with a bunch of men and he was meeting them and the family. And, and so they were hoping to avoid any punishment that he wanted to ex- extract on them because of what Jacob had done to him at some point by stealing his birthright. And honestly, they were hoping to keep the peace. They didn't want any trouble. And so they were go, what do we do in the middle of all this to keep the peace? How do you keep peace in your circles? How do you keep peace whenever you encounter conflict? When conflict occurs, do you operate out of kind of your initial feelings? Many times, whenever we encounter conflict or conflict or possible conflict, we start answering the questions that may never even get asked, right? I mean, we might, we, we kind of make up some things in our own minds about, I'm sure he's mad about this, and I'm sure he's going to do this, and I'm sure he's going to say this. When he says this, I'll say that. When he says this, I'll do this. I mean, we run down the rabbit hole, right, of what possibly might happen. Might, is it just me? Are y'all, y'all with me? Okay, come on. I know it's a little chilly. I know it's snowy. Y'all ain't no snowmen. Uh, uh, but we do that rather than going and addressing the problem and repenting, right? We think of all the things that we're going to say and how we're going to defend ourselves. Or maybe we just go with straight with keeping the peace. And, and maybe if we don't, uh, we kind of do the uh, uh, speak no evil, hear no evil, see no evil. And if they don't bring it up, then I'm not going to bring it up. We won't have to deal with it. We won't have to talk about it. And we'll just let it kind of play itself out and hopefully it doesn't blow up again. There you go. Sometimes it's good to just keep your mouth shut and pray for a minute. But so many times, hang on, so many times keeping the peace is never dealing with the issue. So many times keeping the peace is never dealing with the issue. But that's not our case in our text today because they were confronting one another head on. They'd come out and they were meeting one another. There wasn't any avoiding the issue at this time. So there are a couple things that I noticed here. Because of his sin, Jacob was scared because of the scandal, okay? It was scandalous to steal a birthright from your brother. It was scandalous to go, what's yours? I'm going to take it as the younger brother. I'm going to make it mine. That's a scandalous kind of thing in the biblical days for you to steal something, the birthright, from your older brother. And so he was scared, say scared. Yeah, he was scared uh, because of the scandal that he had caused. That's, that's legit, right? Secondly, because of his sin, Jacob was avoiding the anger of Esau. So all the time that, since they had departed and they'd gone their own way, they'd kind of lived in separate places. They'd gone their own way. And so they had gone to, uh, uh, he was avoiding the anger of his brother by not being in his presence, right? So he was avoiding the anger of, his, of Esau. Because of his sin, Jacob offered goods for the grief he had caused. He's like, you know what? We got some stuff and I know I've sinned against you. And so I'm going to bring some stuff to you, and I'm going to give you some stuff in exchange for me messing you over before. He's trying to find a solution to the problem of going, maybe I can appease him at this time if I just offer him some things at the time. And this last one I want you to see, this is really important. Despite his sin, Jacob was longing for belonging. 
Despite his sin, he longed to be in relationship with his brother. He was worried. He was fearful. Some of you are in that same place today. Some of you are in such conflict today with people and you long for those relationships to be like they were before, but you've gotten so far down the rabbit hole, you're not sure what happens. This, they came face to face, and it had to be confronted. There was no doubt that, there, that the confrontation was coming, that they're coming face to face, and whatever had happened in the past, they were about to have to talk about it. It was coming to the table right then, right? And I'm sure that Jacob, because of his actions, we can tell that he was like, man, there's no telling what this guy's going to do. There's no telling what he's going to say. There's no telling how he's going to treat me at this time, and I'm really afraid. What he did was he had to confront his sin head first. And he was going to Esau, offering repentance, seeking forgiveness. But he was still worried. Any of you worry? I know you do. John MacArthur says, worry is the sin of distrusting the promise and providence of God, and yet it is a sin that Christians commit perhaps more frequently than any other. Worry is the sin of distrusting the promise and the providence of God. Do we trust the promises of God? Do you trust the promises of God? Do you? Do you trust the providence of God that he oversees everything and he knows the ends from the beginning and he's in control of all things? Do you trust that God is providential in his care for you? Do you trust those things? Are you shaking your heads? Okay. So if we trust in the promises of God and we trust in the providence of God, why do we worry so much? Scripture says that worrying doesn't add another day to our lives. You know what worry does? It steals the time that we have. It steals away from us. It steals our mind power. It steals our, our, our body, our health many times. It steals away time that we would actually get with the person that we're afraid to be in con- that we might be in conflict with or even could be in relationship with. It steals that time away because we're worried about what might be. And 95% of the time, it never comes to pass. It never comes to pass sometimes. And so sometimes we worry so much about things that just never happen. And this was what the scripture continues to go on and say. Verse eight says this. Esau uh, Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. And so Esau was like, why in the world are you doing all this? Why, Why are you doing all this? Why have you put this big parade of people up in front of me? Why have you put all this stuff out in front of me? Why are you coming to me with all these things and all these goods? Have you ever been in a situation where people are honoring you and, and you're kind of standing there by yourself and, and they're giving you some accolades and you're like, I don't know what to do with my hands. Uh, uh, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you're like not sure how to act. You're not sure how to react to the middle of it. That's what I kind of see in this. He's like, why are y'all doing all this? I'm not really sure why you're doing all this right now. Now, but Jacob said, my brother, we are just looking for your favor. 
We're just looking for you to, to not be angry with us. We're just, we're just looking for your favor. And then we get to verse 9, which is where I've been wanting to get to in the whole sermon, uh, is to get to verse 9. And this, this is what the text says. Esau says, I have enough. I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. I have enough. Keep what you have for yourself. See, this is grace. This is grace. Grace is unmerited favor, this undeserved favor, undeserved kindness. And this is what was Esau was showing. Grace. Undeserved kindness toward his brother who had cheated him. I have enough. Keep what you have for yourself. I don't want you to suffer. Listen. I don't want you to suffer even though I did. I don't want you to have to lose out on something that you have even though I did. That's grace. You know, there's a uh, there's a verse in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 23 um, that I thought of whenever I was thinking through this. And it says this, uh, Peter writes this, he says, when he was reviled, he's talking about Jesus, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued to trust himself to the one who judges justly. Whenever he was wronged, he didn't try to get more. Whenever you and I are wronged, we don't have to try to make up for those kinds of things. Think about this. The love and acceptance and safety and care and affection and welcoming that Esau offered to Jacob is a picture of the love and the acceptance and safety and care and affection that we get when God welcomes us in. Undeserved, but safe. Undeserved, but welcomed in. Undeserved, open arms without ridicule. That's what God does for you and me. He welcomes us in despite our sin against him. That's what happens in this text. Esau forgave him. Esau welcomed him in. Esau didn't treat him like an outcast. Esau treated him like a brother, like family. That's beautiful Amazing grace. See, some of you are looking for love and acceptance and safety and care and affection, but you're looking in all the wrong places. Look to Jesus. You get that in Jesus. You're like, Jesus would never accept me. You don't know what I've done, preacher. It doesn't matter. I've probably done it too. But Jesus loves us and cares for us and accepts us and welcomes us despite our sin against him. 
Let's keep going in the text. Verse 10 says, Jacob said, no, please, if I found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand, for I've seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. And so 10 and 11 says, Jacob urged Esau to take what he had, and eventually he did. And then the rest of the text really is about they basically went their way in peace and Jacob worshiped the Lord. He built an altar and he worshiped the Lord because he clearly saw that the Lord's hand was in what had just happened between him and his brother. And so what do we do with this? What do we do with a text like this? How do we address a text like this? Psalm, uh, the psalmist wrote this in Psalm 37, 23 and 24. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hands. Look, you're going to mess it up, okay? If you've messed it up in here, raise your hand. I'm looking for you. I know Okay, thank you for being honest. Thank you for everyone raising your hand. Uh, You're going to mess it up. You are going to sin greatly. If you have sinned greatly, raise your hand in here. Come on. Yep, I need to see all of them. Yep, there you go. Thanks for the foot. Uh, You're going to want to run and hide. You're going to want to run and hide when you sin greatly. Some of you may be in the middle of running and hiding right now from somebody that you've sinned against. But the Scripture urges us to do the opposite. The Scripture urges us to not hide in the shadows. The Scripture urges us to face our failures. That's why we get stories like this. To face our failures. To stand in the face of our sin. To seek the forgiveness from the one we've sinned against and to run to Jesus with our failures. Though you may stumble, as the text says, you will not fall. The Lord will uphold you. The Lord wants us to do this. The Lord wants us to seek reconciliation. The Lord wants us to seek forgiveness. The Lord wants us to offer forgiveness to one another. That's a beautiful picture of the gospel. That's why he does that. Why he urges Christians not to have conflict with one another because we get to express the gospel this way by offering forgiveness to someone who may be undeserving of forgiveness. That's a beautiful picture of what God does for us. If you remember from last week, Jacob's name is being changed to Israel. He'll father uh, the nation of Israel. He, he, he becomes the father of many nations, the father of Israel. And, and so... Using Jacob to become Israel is not something that God saw in Jacob. It's something that God was working out in Jacob. He was working it out in Jacob. He he didn't see some greatness in Jacob. He began to work greatness into Jacob. It's part of, uh, uh, and part of it was today's encounter that we read in the text. He had to know his past sin. He had to offer repentance for his sin, and he had to receive grace on that side, on uh, on that side of his his repenting of his sin. See, you coming to Jesus is not something that God saw in you. It's God working in you. You know your past sin. You may know your present sin. And I offer you to, I urge you to repent of those sins and receive grace today. That's for any of you. 
any of you watching today, any of you seeing today what's going on, you need to know that no matter what your sin is, no matter what your sin is uh, currently, no matter what it has been uh, in the past, that there is grace for your sin today. No matter, just like we see in Jacob and Esau, the great sins in the past, and now you might be confronted with it today, there is forgiveness awaiting on the other side of this for you. There's grace, acceptance, forgiveness, love, waiting on the other side. See, honestly, at the beginning of our text, we can see that this was more than Jacob could handle. I mean, it was overwhelming to him. And, and, and I know we hear this thing that God doesn't give us more than we can handle. You know what I feel about that verse? Or that's not even a verse, about people taking the Bible out of context. Uh, because God does give us more than we can handle. It forces us to depend on him. God, it forces us to go, I need you, Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1.8, Paul writes this, for we will not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affection of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired for life itself. This is Paul writing this. He's like, we were so put out, we weren't sure we were even gonna live anymore. You think that's more than Paul could handle? Yes, who did he depend on? He depended on the Spirit of God to help him through that. And you and I need to do the same thing. God does give us more than we can handle. We desperately need him in times like these. We desperately need him whenever we're encountering and facing our own sin. It's times like these that we need Jesus. We need God's presence. We need the Spirit to help us in our weakness. When you sin like Jacob, look, there's some things that you can do. You can deny it. You can just, wasn't me. Didn't do it. Not me. You can blame somebody else. Well, I mean, I know it looks like it was me, but it wasn't me. It was, it was, it was you. It was somebody else. You're thinking, you're thinking the wrong person here. You can excuse it. You can, you can use your words enough to go, no, let me explain myself. Let me explain myself. I mean, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. And so, you know, I'll just, let me make some type of excuse for my sin. You can diminish it. You can make, well, that wasn't really that big of a deal, was it? I mean, come on. You can hide it. You can just hide it and hope nobody ever figures it out. Or you can beat yourself up with it. Where you go, man, I'm just a terrible person and I'm just going to beat myself up of it and I'm going to beat myself over the head because I'm so stupid and I just do to keep doing this thing over and over again. Or you can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. It's a beautiful thing about the gospel. Where our sin is great, his love is greater. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. We are great sinners, but we serve a greater God. With this last thing, I'll be closed. Tulian Tavidjan says this, God's love for you did not begin because of how deserving you were. And it will continue in spite of how undeserving you are. God didn't love you because you're good. God didn't love you because you deserved his love. 
God loves you despite how bad you are. In spite of how undeserving you are, God loves you. He loved you when he saved you, and he loves you even in the middle of your sin. I urge you to repent. Whatever sin you might be dealing with, whatever sin you might be hiding, whatever sin you might be uh, uh, harboring against someone else, I, I encourage you today to put that to the side, to lay it down, to offer, uh, offer your repentance to whoever you need to repent to, and then when someone repents to you, offer your forgiveness to them. It's imperative that we do that as followers of Jesus. It's imperative that we do that no matter who we are and what we're doing. It's, it's so important as followers of Jesus. And if you're here today and you're watching, you're in this room today, or if you're watching online today, wherever it might be, we urge you to follow Jesus. We urge you to repent of your sin, to put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. We urge you to get right with God because you may go, I can't be right with God. I've done, I've sinned too much against him. That's what this story is for. This story is for you today. This story is for you today to know that there's forgiveness and offered. Brothers offered it here. Grace was given here. Grace comes to us through Jesus Christ. Through God the Son, who came and lived the life that you and I will never be able to live, sinless. He lived a sinless life. And then he laid his life down. He shed his blood on the cross to cover mine and your sin debt. And forgiveness is offered to you today. It's a free gift from God. He's not saying clean yourself up and come to him. He's not saying put a bunch of people in front of you and make a big parade in front of you and then bow down to him and offer penance and all these kind of things. He's not saying you've got to go through all those steps. He's saying repent, and he runs to us and embraces us and says, man, there's nothing between us. There's no rift between us anymore. Some of you desire that today. Some of you long for that today. Some of you long for your soul to be right with God today. And it can be by trusting in Jesus. You may go, Pastor, I don't even know what to do with that. It'd be our joy to talk with you about that. We're about to sing, and and I'm going to stand back in front of the sound booth. And if you want to talk about what it looks like to follow Jesus what does it mean to repent? What does it mean to turn from our sin? What does it mean to go uh, to get forgiveness from God, from the God of the universe? And come back. I'd love to talk with you about it. We're going to pray. We're going to give you that opportunity. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We love you.